Hello and welcome to Demise or Surprise episode 5. The final week of the 100 is here. Teams are battling to make the knockout stages and for a chance to get their hands on English cricket's most prestigious competition. We don't care about that, no. We just want to know whether people like watching it. And the ECB probably feels the same. My name is Kit. Matt is with me as ever. Matt, excited for finals week? Shut up. <laughs> hey. Um, is, it, is it finals week? Yes, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a couple of really good uh, one-day cup semi-finals. Um, and final at Trent Bridge, it should be at Lords. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a really good last few games. Birmingham Phoenix doing so well, I thought they'd have, they'd have hooked you in by now. I think they're team to be in the competition. I'm actually want anyone but them. Yeah, to quote uh, George Dobell's article on the eve of the 100, the 100 teams are actually parasites, uh, stealing off uh, the counties a little bit. So I'm supporting Southern Brave anyway because they've got Jake Lintott and Danny Briggs, our spin twins. So like, if I had to support a team, it would be them. Um, and yeah, who doesn't love Jake Lintott? What a man. China man. So, one day cup then, that's that's the plan for this week, just to, just to focus on that. Yeah, I mean, Warwickshire aren't in it, but we did well. We did well. But yeah, uh, I think it's been a really, really nice competition, despite, uh, obviously, the lack of, I suppose, integrity and quality. But, you know, a lot of youngsters have done themselves proud and taken the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I was at... Um, a one-day cup game last Thursday down at Hove for Sussex Middlesex. And, you know, for all the, the players that are missing and for as low-key as it feels when you've got not only the 100 on, but also a test match as well at the same time, it was still a really good crowd there. Hove's not a massive ground in terms of the seating, but it was still fairly full. And it kind of, kind of warmed my heart a little bit that your kind of traditional county cricket is still, still getting support. But yeah, one day cup's done good. You were at a game as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was at two. Uh, the Oval, um, where Warwickshire got thrashed. There was thousands of sorry fans. I wouldn't be surprised if there was about 7,000. Really, really good crowd. Uh, and then Warwickshire, Somerset on the Thursday. Don't know how many were there. Less than 2,000, but Warwickshire don't really get good crowds. Um, but yeah, two really good games to watch. Do you think there's almost been a increased resistance from traditional county fans over the one day cup in particular and that's leading to maybe some even stronger crowds than you'd, you'd normally expect because people are determined to keep supporting it during the hundred yeah possibly there's not as many kids there as maybe well, obviously because otherwise. we know yeah. why that is yeah yeah exactly but um i think you have a point there i was quite eager to um make sure i go to a couple of games so um yeah, yeah, possibly. Well, enough one-day cup chat for now. Of course, we we always love a little bit of non-hundred chat on this show, but we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're actually going to be hearing from some people that aren't myself and Matt, so a little bit of different voices on the airwaves. We're going to be speaking to a couple of people that have actually been to games of the 100 and trying to gauge some of their opinions on the competition. So first, we're going to be speaking to... Michael, who's been working at 100 matches and knows very little about cricket. So we're going to get a little bit of an insight on whether the 100 is catching the eye on on very casual fans. And then we're going to chat to Will, who's a much more hardcore cricket fan who has taken in the 100 at the Oval this summer. So, yeah, we're going to be finding out what they both think of the competition, what it's like to be at a match and 
I guess most importantly, is the 100 product doing its job? Is it is it interesting? Is it making people want to go again? So let's get into it. Let's hear what they have to say. And we will join you on the other side of that. All right, this is Kit here with a quick little interjection. I know I just said we we're going to hear from both Michael and Will on this episode. Unfortunately, Will's come down with COVID just before we were about to speak to him the day before. So he is unfortunately out of action for for this week. Um, as horrible a person as I am, I wasn't going to make him speak to us while he was recovering from coronavirus. So we don't have Will to speak to this week, which is a shame. But luckily, Michael spoke to us for a little bit longer than originally planned um, and gave some really interesting insights about working at Lords and the Oval during the 100, working on the bar, interacting with fans, what he saw about the makeup of the crowd. It was a really, really interesting chat, which relates to a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the last few weeks. So no will, but we still have Michael and we think it's a really, really good listen. So I hope you enjoy. All right. So we're now joined by Michael, who's very kindly agreed to speak to us about his experiences of being at 100 matches. Michael, how are you doing today? I am good. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Now, you were at the 100, or at a couple of the 100 games, but not strictly as a fan, is that correct? Uh, yes, I work at Lords and at the Oval, so I was kind of spectating, kind of doing other things, but cricket isn't exactly my strong point for any reason at all, so it was, just <laughs> well, quite, it was it's quite interesting to just be there. That's perfect. You've got kind of like a blank slate in your mind, which is uh, which yeah. is good good for people like me to analyse. What sort of work were you doing at Lords and the Oval? Uh, I was doing bar work, but it was quite uh, I, in one of my in the bar I worked at um, the first game of the hundred. It wasn't very busy at all, so I had a nice view of the pitch, and I was just kind of watching everyone and the fans and the game, and kind of trying to make sense of it all and. Probably didn't do a great job of that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and so you worked at the first game at the Overland. So when was the game at Lords you worked at? It was like two, maybe two, maybe three weeks after. The first game, at least when I was watching it on TV, and it felt so different, not just from what was to come in terms of the atmospheres of, of future games at 100, but kind of any other atmosphere I'd seen at a high profile cricket match like that. I assume you've worked at other cricket matches before the 100 with, have, with the yes. work did you do. So what, and you kind of hinted at this already, what felt different about that first match? Well, we were kind of, I remember chatting to people on my bar and they weren't cricket fans at all. The other people working there and as soon as like about half an hour before when they were doing the intro to the 100 and every screen the stadium was explaining the rules suddenly there was just massive fireworks all over the stadium when the teams came out it was um very loud it wasn't like a very packed stadium but it was very loud and everyone was just kind of very much i don't know up for it like in in the sense i've worked test cricket before where you're there for pretty much the whole day and it does feel like it, the atmosphere was nowhere near like as as good in those test cricket than compared to the hundred very loud everyone was very excited kind of ready to be involved and watch the whole game if that makes sense yeah so did it, did it surprise you almost considering what you'd kind of experienced before a cricket 
and also just in the sense that all the fireworks and pyrotechnics not really something you'd associate with kind of traditional <laughs> yeah. cricket i guess well i'll be honest like usually like for od like odis for example i'd turn up to work at nine and um in the morning and this time i turn up to work at five so we kind of thought are we just catching the the end of a game that couldn't be played before due to rain or something we were all quite confused um but yeah and then when we found out it was in like a two and a half hour match we were like okay yeah this is like very very confusing um yeah no we were kind of surprised by everything uh, the fans were very very different i can i can say that for one thing a lot of the fans were asking us at the bar if we knew the rules and if we could explain it to them but we were just kind of pointing them towards tvs and then <laughs> it's just constantly just repeating the rules of the hundred yeah um, uh, i suppose we'll probably come to this in a bit but a lot of fans are quite like confused by some of the rules Oh, so like am I the, still, so... <laughs> uh, the, the power play, probably the main one. Yeah. Um, that was the one that kind of caught everyone with a bit. And the coach walking out during the two-minute timeout, I think it's two minutes. Yeah. Walk out into the middle of the pitch and speak to all the um, all the players to do tactics and stuff. And we were kind of like, I, I didn't know cricket too well, but I was like, I swear I have never seen this before. <laughs> like, I thought yeah. it was just the captain who did all this, but... <laughs> Yeah, we've discussed timeouts before on this podcast and safe to say they, they don't get rave reviews from the cricket community. <laughs> and staying with that first game, uh, the first 100 game you worked at, what was, and I know you're only in, you're only working at bars, so not as if you're going around the whole ground, but mm. one of the key kind of aims at 100 is trying to introduce a new audience to cricket and in particular a younger audience and children really did you feel that on the first night that there, there were, more, were more children in the stadium than other cricket matches you've worked at i actually probably should have mentioned this before that was another huge thing that i noticed compared to other cricket like there was so the first game i worked was the the women's game and the amount of shop like little vendors outside selling shirts and just the f- like the kids coming in just sat down all of them kind of just very very excited to watch all of the games in these new like colorful kits that i'd never seen before and a lot of like the parents who we were chatting to on the bar kept saying like oh isn't it just great that like we can be back outside again just to like come to venues like this and watch sports and i th- i feel like that was one thing i noticed is much more kind of family orientated yeah um with the hundred like it, it kind of feels a lot more like a family like day out you're not there for the whole day like with odi cricket would say kids getting bored after say halfway through the day and kind of just i don't know like running around in like the pavilions up at the top like with like a tennis ball which I, i've seen so in so many occasions but i feel like there's certain parts of the hundred that really appeal to kids like one thing the two and a half hours game time i feel like that's a huge a huge kind of like grab at them it's kind of a later later i, I don't i was gonna say kickoff but i'm not sure what they call it first like ball it. i the think is, ball, that's, that's what it used to be called i'm sure yeah. there's a new name for the hundred that's that i'm not aware of yet. <laughs> yeah 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 there was a lot more kids for sure mm. like mm. in these ones a lot of them were very kind of 
invested in like their team and we were trying to really trying to figure out yeah and we were very kind of confused because we're like isn't this the first game because we were kind of well like surely like no one would have had a team before the teams ever played like a game but the amount of people who turned up with shirts like ready to oh, like from manchester originals or yeah is it oval invincibles, oval that was invincibles. The one, the, like, yeah is that the green the green jersey yeah right? mm-hmm. yeah light green. they are yeah the lone green the amount of people who just decided to wear the jersey and we were like i, I swear this is the first game but they all knew about all the players who were like ready to play with the whole draft system that was yeah. quite a, mm-hmm. a thing that was quite discussed on the bar a fair bit we didn't have a clue what we were talking about when we were talking to them <laughs> but <laughs> they they seem to have a very good idea um that, probably got that, off a bit off topic there but. oh no that no that's really interesting what you say about the support for these teams because one of the big criticisms of the hundred especially amongst like more traditional cricket fans is that these are new teams they've got no history no identity and it's gonna be really hard to generate kind of organic support for them but what you're saying suggests the opposite that, that they have been able to hook in hooking new fans and especially children you'd say yeah i, I feel like just to say again what what i've seen in like previous odis it will get to like say two like three o'clock in the day and you'll just have kids running up at the top just in front of the bar with the tennis ball like they've, they've watched it for two maybe three hours and they've just got a bit bored and i feel like the hundred really appeals to like an audience that other types of cricket didn't really catch before that like yeah. kids being obviously the main one um, but I suppose families as, yeah. as well it is kind of like a family day out in a sense so. yeah and we've I've kind of focused mainly on your first game at Oval so far because that was quite a, or it was a unique event because that was the only standalone women's game of the tournament and it was the first game of the tournament so I think there was always an expectation that you'd get a, quite an unfamiliar cricket crowd at that match yeah, when you worked at um, Lords, was it? Did you have similar takeaways in terms of the makeup of the crowds to a lot of families and and children, or or was there a difference at Lords? To be honest, on that, it, yeah, it was like two or three weeks later. I was kind of running, like doing kind of like bar back work, so running into like the cellars, grabbing ice and stuff for the bar, and then kind of running in and out. So I was mainly on like outside of the stadium kind of running up through the crowd seemed to be the same though I, I do remember there was lots of there were lots of kids at that as well but i mean just to go back to the first game i worked in the sure in the oval the pakistan terrace where i work has a very very good view of the entire like stadium i can watch the game okay. and i can kind of see everyone sat in the oval so it was quite easy to kind of make out there whereas the game two weeks later, I, I want to say, the, yeah, it was, I was kind of in like, just mainly cellar to bar, cellar to bar, staying on the outside of the ground. Like I didn't see any of the game that day, but I outside, I mean, outside where like the burger vans are and stuff, there were still a lot of kids there compared to like a usual ODI, for example. Yeah. And similar to that, oh, I don't know if you've seen any of this, but there's been a bit of controversy over the crowds at a hundred and specifically over alcohol consumption because as i've said the hundred is really emphasizing kind of a family orientated approach to the competition and obviously if you've got lots of i guess 
young people in their 20s and 30s drinking a load of alcohol and being boisterous that kind of goes against that objective and a couple of weeks ago lords introduced a number of measures to limit consumption of alcohol at 100 matches so yeah there's there's clearly some concern amongst organizers with alcohol at 100 matches but did you encounter any problems with rowdy customers during either game that you went to I mean, after this, personally, from my experience, so I was working like on the front of the bar at the Oval. Yeah. It was we really did not serve much. It was a lot of people kind of turning up before, like if they wanted a pint, and it, they'd just be chatting at the bar, asking us, "Oh, like, so what do you think of this like new game? Like, do you know the rules? Could like, could you help us explain?" And we obviously <laughs> didn't know, but. Yeah, bar-wise, it was very quiet. It usually is on that kind of side where I work, but it okay. was much quieter than usual. At the Oval, it didn't... When I was, like, kind of running in and out of the cellar, going through the outside of the ground, it didn't seem like there were many what's that, boisterous spectators. I'll say that for a fact. But I suppose... I feel, I feel like it, it was the time of the day yeah. as well i could have I've said before like the, the i think the first hundred games started it was it six o'clock mm-hmm. um in the evening and we kind of thought well okay it's a lot shorter shift it's kind of it feels like jam-packed cricket at this point it's going to be quite a a rush at both bars at any bar you're kind of in so we were kind of prepared for the worst but it seemed very very chilled out you make a good point about like the length of the game and there's just so much less time to drink to put it quite bluntly yeah. that, like i guess with a test match you've got you've got so long there that people can kind of both pace pace themselves and still and consume it's not up. exactly cheap um like true pricing true. alcohol at the cricket so could be a reason that i suppose like if you're at an odi you don't really have a choice you can't just kind of come in and out of the ground whereas if your game starts at 6pm in the evening, you could have yeah. the whole day to kind of yeah. you know, be in the pub and then pop to the game afterwards and enjoy it more. But I just personally, it, I didn't see that on, on either game. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And one more question on the crowd, as well as trying to introduce a younger audience to cricket, the hundreds also trying to introduce a more diverse audience to cricket. This might not be something that you noticed at all, but... Did you see maybe more women or more minority ethnic individuals in the crowd when you were there? Or is that something that's hard to pick up on when you're just working in the bar? I can definitely say for that, for actually for both games, there were a lot more women at the games than like I would be, I would kind of see normally. As for ethnic diversity, I'm not, I don't, for like I, I maybe I just didn't pick up on it, but it wasn't like apparent on either game. That could be something, but I, personally, I just I didn't see. I'm afraid. No, no, that, that's fine. And I guess if if you're if you're working in a place that sells alcohol, that just naturally means you're less likely to see some groups of people than others. But yeah, yeah and you said you'd managed to see a little bit of the cricket in one of the two games. So I'll ask you a little bit about that quickly. And I know you're not a cricketing expert, which makes this conversation even better. From <laughs> from what you could see, did it make you think that you'd you'd go to 100 if you weren't getting paid 100 games? If you weren't getting paid to work there. So if someone said, "I've got a spare ticket, you want to go?" Would you you'd be up for um, that? Honestly, I would. Like, um, I actually would. I think the 
there's a couple, I think the fact of only having a hundred balls and still having quite a large team does make for the more exciting game playing, like a lot more going for boundaries, like fours and sixes yeah. compared to like test cricket. I do feel like the the length of the game as well. Like I, I, I love like a, a day out watching the cricket at the bar as much as the next person does, but I do feel like I would like to go to a game to experience it that way as well. I feel it's a lot more exciting as well. And I feel like the like the hundred itself makes it quite exciting. Like I remember seeing on the, the, the T V screens when I was there, like when the timeouts yeah. came. That that was a huge like oh it was on every T V like Oval of Mintables have taken a timeout and it was like, Whoa, kind of like, <laughs> well, what's gonna happen now? Um They're literally just gonna of, stand in a circle for two minutes for don't say Yeah, I know and it I mean, it was the same with the fireworks at the start. I know it was the first game, but we were like, I've never in my three years of working at the cricket ever seen fireworks ever. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it does seem a lot more engaging this time, I will say, the 100 for sure. And I, I suppose that's kind of what I probably would entice me. Whereas it seemed kind of like test cricket does just seem quite repetitive. I don't really understand like the tactics behind like, you know, like safe ball playing and stuff and mm. just kind of protecting the people in the team to not yeah. get wickets. But yeah, it, it just, the engaging part of the 100 kind of appeals to me yeah. more. So as a casual fan and you are on this podcast speaking for all the casual fans out there, so no pressure, <laughs> but to get you into cricket, you want four sixes colourful kicks, fu- colourful kits, fireworks, fancy graphics on the scoreboard and the TVs, rather than the more nuanced conversations about reverse swing or how far the bat's away from the body. That's that that's what's gonna lure you in. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the more the the younger the child inside me I'd say kind of likes that likes the exciting stuff. But I I, I feel that that might just be because I really don't understand the tactics behind like test cricket and reverse i don't even know what reverse <laughs> swing means to be honest <laughs> I, feel, I feel like i probably should have worked there long enough but no no that's interesting because i guess that means that to again draw some wild conclusions from a 20 20 minute chat and i only asked you for 10 so i'm sorry about this no but... no no you're fine <laughs> but if you're gonna recruit cricket fans in or recruit non-cricket fans into the sport maybe the best way to go is some of the hundred specific stuff that I, I that I just listed off, like the graphics and colourful kits, etc. That's what you'd agree with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And as I said before, I, I do feel like this might be a separate point altogether, but the way cricket's been for like, for, for as long as I've like kind of seen it just kind of on TV and then switched the channel over because I don't understand, it never feel like anything really changed. And I feel like the 100 has kind of broken into a new audience with the new kind of people coming in. Would that appeal to other cricket fans? Like, who were already, like, very much involved in, say, like, Test Cricket or ODIs? I'm not sure. I just, as a last but I do remember speaking to one guy on the bar. He had just, he had just bought um, two or three drinks, and he was saying, oh what do you think of it? And I said, oh, to be honest, I don't really understand. He was just like, oh, well, it's just kind of everyone hitting it. I think it was Harry for Larry, he said. It was the expression he said. He was just like, everyone's just kind of swinging for it. So 
I'm not sure he was too impressed. I'm not sure if that means like other cricketers would be cricket fans would kind of enjoy it, mm -hmm. um, as much as the usual style. Yeah, well, Matt, who does this podcast with me, is very much in the traditional camp, and he's not a huge fan of the hundred and all the <laughs> new innovations it's being. So it's quite a polarizing topic to say the least. That's what this whole podcast is about. But Michael, thank you so much for speaking to me this afternoon. It's been oh, no, that's all right. Really, really interesting. You've, for someone who claims to not know anything about cricket, you've said some really interesting stuff on a cricket podcast. So, pat yourself <laughs> on the back for that. Any, Thank you very much. any final remarks on the hundred? Um, I'm very interested to see what happens kind of next season. I, I suppose when when any kind of new event like style like so for example the 100 this time it's always going to be very exciting like in its first season it's always kind of people getting used to the rules getting used to the new teams like and everything like that i'm interested to see next year if the same excitement is still there because i'm not a hundred percent sure that all the kind of like new things they've done like the colorful kits and you know, like fireworks as whiz is the new rules, the shorter games. I'm not sure if that will stick with everyone. Some people may just prefer the older traditional style of cricket after a while. But um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see, that's for sure. Tune in to Series 2 of this podcast next year where we'll have Michael back on to see if those, <laughs> those changes have got the staying power. <laughs> Michael... Um, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. And no take worries, care. mate. Thanks very much. Okay, so really good to hear from Michael. And we're just going to finish with a little bit of news and quick hits to tie things up as we go into the last week at 100. Main thing this week has been Tom Harrison has said some stuff. He did an interview with the BBC during the Lord's Test with Jonathan Agnew, assessed the state of play of English cricket as a whole. There's a lot of talk about the Ashes, obviously, but also a lot of talk about the 100, and they talked about how, it, how it's gone in its first year. And they talked about some things that we've talked about as well, Matt. And key overriding thing, I think, from the interview with Tom Harrison, English Cricket Board's chief executive, I should point out as well before we continue. Harrison believes the 100's been been really good as you'd expect he thinks it'll be good for test cricket he's saying that viewing figures are high in tests in championship cricket this summer and the 100 is only going to help that he says it's going to be good for all forms of cricket in this country whether that's test cricket female cricket counter cricket whatever it's going to be matt we know tom harrison as the english cricket czar is going to obviously be very optimistic about 100 do you share his sentiments at all at this stage uh, no, from if I was at the ECB, I'd be I'd be saying um, the hundred has been a success because from their point of view it has. I mean the crowds being better than they thought are actually only a bonus. I would say it's more about improving the product. You know they said the the idea of the hundred was to increase broadcast revenue. Certainly in April, I don't think they actually cared about what the crowds would be like because they knew they could just give tickets away for free. So you know that was never an issue really. But yeah, I mean it has been a success, hasn't it really? I suppose the trouble is they, I think it's, it depends on each sort of team uh, and region. So obviously over Invincibles in that regard, their crowds aren't as good as Surrey were getting in the blast, whatever. But then because Trent Rockets and to a lesser extent, Birmingham Phoenix have had quite a good crowd because 
you know, Edge Bassett, it just it does attract that, you know, people who want to piss up. So the atmosphere was good there. And Trent Rockets, because they mostly have Knotts players, they Knotts fans seem to have got on board with it a bit more, um, which obviously something we talked about before, how maybe the team should have tried to align with, with the county sides more. But because of those two in particular, they seem to have um, emphasised more, maybe more than is the case, or just maybe more than is necessary, I don't know. Um, just, uh, you know, how attractive the 100 has been, uh, even though that's not actually their main aim. So they say it's more about the viewing figures, whatever, which again, has been a success. But yeah, I, I think I, I do see why he's optimistic because, yeah, I mean, it, it has probably gone better than a lot of people had imagined. Yeah, what you're saying about the viewing figures is important. Um, Tom Harrison cited those as well. He said that 11 million people have seen the 100, so that's going to matches and watching it on TV. They've sold over half a million tickets. Capacities are over 90%, which has completely blown their target of 60% out of the waters. And that's even factoring in the fact that you can only have 3,000 people go and watch Welsh Fire home games because of the COVID rules in Wales. So yeah, viewing figures have been a success. Do you think that it's a little bit of a tangent, but obviously we mentioned at the very start of the podcast last week um, about, well, Alex Hales getting hit in the unmentionables, which was obviously a very funny moment and got a lot of traction on social media. The night after that, Imran Tirtik hat-trick ran laps around the ground, did a very emotional interview afterwards. The hundreds seems to have had a few kind of small but significant moments like that, which would get people talking and interested in cricket. Do you think it's had enough of those this summer? And do you think that's kind of explaining part of its success that it has had these kind of just small moments which seem to stimulate interest? Cricket is good. Cricket is very good. If you give it a platform, then, as I say, we were talking about betting the farm, you know, which they have. Drink. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's if you give cricket a platform, then it is going to attract people. But there, I don't know who said it yesterday, but someone said the ECB's lack of faith in cricket is just terrible. Like the fact that they have to do all the gimmick stuff. Like um, apparently before the uh, one the game yesterday, before they'd like a weird sort of sponsor video thing of like I think it's Billings like drinking something with wicketkeeper gloves on, like just a painful filler time thing. Just focus on the cricket. Cricket is good. Another thing Harrison talked about was expansion and Jonathan Agnew was focusing on the Southwest, how there's not really a, a team for them unless they want to support a team in a different country. And while there's obviously at this stage no certainties about the future of the 100, Harrison, and <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, said it was a, a strong possibility. So is that something you'd like to see? And if so, do you think the Southwest is the, the sensible option if they're going to add a team or two? Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's one of the biggest cricketing regions in the country and their local team is Wales in a, in a region of the UK where some people aren't overly fond of the Wel the Welsh, I've heard, for whatever, I suppose because of the rugby rivalries. So, you know, I don't, yeah, they've got to do that really if they want to get people in that region in, interested in the 100. Yeah, and another thing that was hinted at, again, nothing set in stone here at all, Harrison wants a better relationship between the Vitality Blast and the 100. And one of the things he mentioned was the potential for a mid-season 
hundred draft, which would essentially try and reward performances by cricketers in the Vitality Blast, assuming it's it's the same schedule and it takes place before the hundred. Do you think that's a, another good idea to make these competitions more uniformed and allow strong performances in one to lead to rewards in another for individuals? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it goes back to what we said last week. I think regardless, there's not there's people's motivations are going to be purely on the shortest format now, um, given the financial rewards. I suppose it just amplifies that, I guess. I think that it's good that people can get rewarded for their performances, but you're right, we talked about this a lot last week, just everything's being engineered towards the short format and the motivation for trying to succeed in the in white ball and especially T20 and 100 cricket has never been higher and the motivation to perform in red ball cricket has perhaps never been lower. So adding stuff like that, while it's, it's probably good in a vacuum, it could have wider problems for the longer formats of English cricket. And if the ECB is telling the truth and they still believe test cricket is a top priority, which is what Harrison said in this interview, then that doesn't quite align. But I, I can see why they're doing it, I guess. they um It's fair enough. You're going to want to have the best players in the 100 and the blast can often show to you who the, who the strong players are. And we've seen people like Harry Brook, even someone like Jake Linto as well, come into or perform really well in the blast earlier this summer and then carry that form into the 100. One perhaps slightly more negative thing from the interview was Harrison was asked about the schedule, something we focused on last week, and whether it's, it will be possible in the near future to give England's test players more chances to play county championship cricket in the heart of the summer. So when the test series are going on, will there be championship cricket at a similar time so that out-of-form players or players just on the fringe of the test team can get some high-quality rebel practice in? That question was sidestepped a little bit, Matt. There was a little acknowledgement of it. And then Tom Harrison started talking about the Commonwealth Games, which doesn't really have much relation to the county championship because there's only a women's competition. So... Not the best sign that there, would you say? No, not at all. Also, uh, just quickly, you mentioned um, the women's game. Interest. I, was, I didn't realise quite how, how low uh, the women's pay actually is in the 100. If they're serious about gender equality and inclusivity, then isn't the highest at 15,000 and the lowest 3,000? For a month's work where you can't do anything else, I mean, 3,000, yeah, it's nice, but it's not, it's not that much really, is it? given that it's not, obviously there's not many other women's competitions for them to get contracts in. So, yeah, I, th- I think that needs adjusting, I would say. Yeah, it's certainly an improvement on what they'll be earning for their counties, even uh, even the 3,000 contracts. Just to make sure we've got it accurate, accurately, the lowest pay band for women is £3,600 and the highest is 15000 compared to the men where the respective figures are £24,000 and £100,000. So, yeah, there is a, a gender pay gap. That's nothing new in society and certainly not in sport. And maybe that's a long-term goal for the hundreds. There's, to be honest, I can see the arguments on, most, on both sides for, for equal pay in, in sport. And I don't want to sound like a misogynist pick when I say that. But, um, yeah, the, the, male, the male game 
it does generate more revenue at the moment. We can debate whether that's that's a product of society and sexism in society, and that's why there's more interest in the men's game. But that conversation's for a different day. But yeah, you're right. If if they are going to champion equality in the hundred, that might be a good thing to kind of aspire to, as kind of an end game maybe that we're going to try and achieve equal pay and get women making this sort of astronomical money that the men are making at the moment. What do you think of that as like kind of a long-term goal? That could be something maybe maybe to try and achieve in maybe five or ten years, I don't know, because as I said, it's something that is so rare in sport and society. Yeah, I mean, as, as you say, it's pretty unrealistic to, you know, say that they sh- it'll be completely equal salary because that's, yeah, it's not going to happen. But yeah, 3,000, I believe it was. That seems a bit mean, doesn't it? So when the lowest for the men, was it 30? So 24,000. 24, yeah, so eight times that. So, yeah, I, I think that can be adjusted slightly, don't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But a good start nonetheless, I'd say, but still more work to be done. Fitting with uh, wider gender inequality concerns, I suppose. And one more thing that came out of that interview, staying with the woman's side of things in particular, is that it seems like the doubleheaders are here to stay, that there's not going to be a return to the original plan of the 100 which was to have the bulk of women's games not at the big test venues so uh, i can't remember all the stadiums off the top of my head but the trent rockets women were going to play a lot at grace road in leicester birmingham phoenix going to play a lot at new road in worcester so tom harrison seemed to him pretty strongly that, that they're going to continue with the doubleheaders, that all the games going to be at the test venues. That's got to be a good thing. I think the not having a doubleheader seemed like a terrible idea in the first place, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see how anyone really can oppose the doubleheader idea. You know, it's given women's cricket a good platform and a bigger crowd than they'd get otherwise. So, yeah, nothing else to add, really. I think it has to be a good thing, doesn't it? We touched on this very briefly last week, but I've kind of felt it more this week because the test match has been, there's been less rain in the test match. There's probably been a little bit of a better game. It's Sunday now, so we don't actually know how it's going to end and we will by the time this podcast comes out. But I found it much harder to keep up with, in particular, the women's 100 games this week because they are being played at at the same time as the test match. There's only so much cricket I can get into my brain. Do you do you find that at all? I know you're not devoutly following the 100, but uh, it's very easy to for the women's competition in particular to slip completely under the radar when, when there's a test match on. Yeah, I think, as we said, I think we both suggested last week, it might be beneficial to move the 100 to a month earlier or, or a month later, whatever, to not coincide with a a test series. They were really genuine about getting people into cricket. They wouldn't slate the other formats and uh, they would also try and get people into test cricket as well, like the IPL do, but they haven't done that at all. Um, And it's almost like they're trying to fight over the... You know, I noticed Sky Sports Cricket Twitter account, they stopped putting up videos once the Women's 100 game started. um, Of the test match or of the... yeah. Yeah, so that's poor. Whereas before they were doing every wicket and they only did like two videos after that, like near the end with like Roots uh, ramp shot and the final ball where Anderson got out, that was it. So that's poor really, isn't it? So yeah, I think have them separate as and as say for the women's game as well, it would benefit more not being on at the same time. Yeah, I think it's another argument for having some women's games the second in the double header. So if you do have to have some hundred games during a test match, you've got the some of the women's games in that six thirty, seven PM slot where 
it's not on at the exact same time as a test match and it is possible to watch both because at the moment I feel like the women's competitions kind of being forgotten about a bit or at least these these individual women's games are because the test match is on and because the test series has been so good so far so something else for them to maybe maybe tinker with in the future but I think we've covered most of Mr Harrison's points there it was an interesting interview and I encourage everyone to listen to it on the BBC if you have the time but Matt just one more question from me to you for today it's it's gone quickly this 100 tournament and it's nearly over nearly at the end of of season one of the brand new competition we'll have a proper debrief in next week's episode but has anything changed in your perception of the 100 over the last few weeks from the rather negative you had at the start of the competition are you still pretty anti the 100 at this stage no my, my negatives aren't even towards the the competition itself it's purely on the detrimental effect on county cricket and the maybe disrespect shown towards cricket fans and county cricket fans and i mean that's actually become even more apparent We've seen maybe detrimental effects on the test side when considered before um, and things like that. So that's not improved at all. But the competition has gone better from an ECB point of view than I imagined in terms of the crowds engaging more. The, the marketing obviously was poor for a couple of years. Now it marketed it well this summer. In the end, people have got on board with it more than I thought. Fans, players, everyone. But there's still all the negatives and and. Cons- uh, valid concerns they haven't been answered no would you say that it's not been a complete disaster and after everything that was risked over the last few years coupled with the impact of the pandemic on the competition and english cricket just it going okay can be classed as a success just for year one to an extent yeah i think we can't really make financial judgments for quite a long time Especially as it's not exactly that transparent, is it? So, to an extent you can. Yeah, it's not been a disaster. That is always a success with everything in life. But, um, yeah, I think we have to wait, really, until the figures come out um, the finances. Time will tell. Right, it is 10.55 on Sunday, the 15th of August. James Anderson is lacing up his boots now to bowl to, is it Rohit who takes strike? I think it is. Um, but it may well be Rahul. I may have made myself look like an idiot there. Matt, five minutes until day four starts England-India. This podcast won't come out until after the conclusion of the test match. What's going to happen at Lords over these next two days? I don't know, Jeff. Well, make a prediction and don't be boring. England win by three wickets. By three wickets, how much are we chasing? Two hundred and something. Oh my word! And how many? How many of those is Root getting? Not quite Bannerman, but not far off. <laughs> I think it could be a draw. To be honest, even so with England's I, fragile batting, I was trying to be optimistic. Yeah, be optimistic. You be optimistic. I'll say draw, and then India will probably win, and we'll both look look very wrong. So. We'll see what happens there. We will know what happens there because that's how podcasts work and how time works. But that'll do it for episode five of Demise or Surprise. Thank you again to Michael for speaking to us. Give us a little bit of a, a different perspective and for everyone to not have to listen to us rambling on for so long. But yeah, thank you very much, Matt. No problem. And yeah, thank you 
for listening and we will catch you next week for the final episode where we make sweeping judgments about a competition that lasted six weeks thank you